0: From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Maybe to kick things off and set the stage, what is and why is it important to have a sales methodology in a sales team? Um, maybe we can go in reverse order. Elizabeth, if you want to kick things off, like what is it? Maybe just to like speak the same language here. Like, what does it mean to have a sales methodology and sales process at a company? And why is it so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um You know, it's interesting because there's so many methodologies out there, and I know we're talking a little bit about medic and and some of those today, but, um, you know, it's... It's one of those things that is so important to have a repeatable process. And I was very fortunate early on in my career as an investment mutual fund wholesaler. I was trained by the number two institutional or what we call enterprise now, um, investment wholesaler in the world at the time, who was probably making $5 million in commission. Um, and in those days, we called it a business plan. You know, now it's all methodologies, right? But we it was creating a business plan of really mapping out um, exactly what your day-to-day activities are gonna be that's gonna help, you know, um generate a process. And it takes everything down from, you know, every engagement with your your uh, customers. And um and so, you know, I, I learned how to do that very, very early on. And I've used that process in literally everything I've done, even relaunching a career, um, is just creating a plan. It's a plan on how you're gonna gonna build. Um, and So, you know, i I found it's absolutely critical and it's the difference between success and failure.
0: Totally. I love that. Yes. At the end of the day, it's a million words for it, but it is a plan, a framework, a strategy to repeatedly drive success. And if you want to have consistency and predictability, which everyone wants in sales, you need to to have that as kind of the backbone. But uh, Pleasant, anything to to add or plus one to that?
2: Well, definitely, definitely plus one. But I think... Um, one of the the main things that a methodology does is it helps to level the playing field within your organization of your sellers. Um, I mean, Elizabeth just said she, you know, started a tech tech industry, you know, and later on. And I also I came from being a teacher. And and so there's just certain things that um if you want your organization to grow and, and be successful, you, you need to level the playing field. And, and so it helps to train and set a standard of how we approach customers, what we get uh, from them in order to move them along in the sales cycle in an efficient way um, and, and de-risk as much as possible. So I really see it as leveling the playing field for your sellers.
0: Totally. And maybe before we move on, do we think that there's, a material difference from methodology to methodology, or is it just helpful to have a shared language and it kind of ends up being the same? This is, you know, my personal opinion, I think, you know, maybe for more strategic types of deals, there's a better one or worse, but like overall my personal take is just having something is a hundred times better than what the vast majority of teams that I see today have, or at least enforcing it because most people say they have a process or methodology don't actually do it. Just having one and doing the thing I think is, significantly better, but I know some people are like all about one thing. Maybe they're all about Challenger or something. Do you, do you kind of have a, a preference or think that, you know, kind of all kind of equals each other?
2: I, I personally think that they all have threads of commonality between them. I mean, when you go and look and see what, what everything is, is putting together, whether it's snap or need or medic or, you know, challenger, it's, it's, there's always commonalities, but the level at which it's implemented um really speaks to the complexity of your business. So um I think that it's it's while they're very similar, some of them are different based off of who you're selling and what you are selling um, and what you need to ensure you're doing within each sales cycle. Totally. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree with that. I think you know it's really important to look at the business. Um, I I tend to use Medic when I'm going into a new startup and building out a sales process. But um, I think you need to look at the business. There's a big difference on whether it's enterprise or SMB or emerging emerging market. Like, who is your target customer? Uh, Who is your ICP? You know, there's different types of, um, you know, target ideal customers that may be a little bit more Um, allergic to a traditional discovery process. So you really need to take a look at kind of what your buyer um, process looks like. Um, And then the other thing is, too, is, you know, and this is very, very different from when I was starting out. uh, And Ross, I know you and I've had this conversation a bit, but, you know, some tech companies have such strong marketing teams that a lot of it's inbound Mm
0: -hmm. and it's
1: a very different process if it's an inbound or an outbound strategy.
0: Totally. Yeah. So Definitely agree. Overall, there's certain ones like, you know, uh, Medic and Challenger are very strong, I think, for selling to like C-suite, more strategic, longer sales cycles. Maybe if it's more transactional, other ones, you know, kind of speak to that more. Um, but overall, you know, I think it's the, the devil's in the reinforcement and the uh, actual enforcement and rigor of making sure that on every deal, and every rep and every manager's coaching towards that, and that you have visibility into it through whatever the CRM or tools that you're using um, versus, you know, what the thing is itself. Um,
1: Yeah. And I I would add to that, like, you know, it's, it's, I believe it's critical to have that process, that plan, like Pleasant was talking about, you know, have a plan and a framework um, for every sales organization. Having said that, and, and I wouldn't say this to my sales teams particularly, but I have found that many of the best salespeople really don't need to follow a methodology. You know, and many of them have studied all of them and over a decade or more, multiple decades, and don't necessarily need to follow that. So I usually, I mean, I, I require my teams, everybody to follow the same process, but I, it's usually that top 10% of my sales team, I can kind of let them do their own.
0: <laughs> well, I guess, <laughs> I you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's less for them. It's less about like needing those fields in Salesforce and requiring it. It's more of they're doing it by nature. Right, I I don't think that they're not following the thing. I think that it's just so inherent with the the muscle memory that they've built. They know the questions to ask. They know how to get to these people. That you know, you're kind of like like I trust you that you're doing these things, and right. not everyone earns that. Like that's an earned level of you know kind of you know kind of self ownership. On the team, right? Or, you know, or do you think they're just doing stuff that isn't defined and isn't part of the methodology or process, but they're just so good at at selling?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And they're usually meshing together a lot of the different methodologies, right? But but I still require them, like they still need to get that information in in the framework that we use as a sales organization. And the reason for that is too, is like as a sales leader, and one of the hardest things i mean i've been in icp i mean i've been in ic many times too right and it's like every salesperson hates putting all of their information into salesforce or or whatever let me
0: just work the deal like why do i have to spend an extra 20 minutes doing this but uh yeah right
1: right but as a as a leader and as an organization like i want to know hey ross is going on vacation next week and you know something one of his customers calls in i want to know
2: exactly where that is that deal is Mm
0: Totally. Well, maybe- it,
2: also, it also pulls into the other parts of the organization because even though a sales methodology is for the sales team, how we acquire new customers, there's so many inefficiencies when it comes to customer transition or looping in more technical, you know, internal stakeholders that are going to need to help and having to, you know, pass your information. So having something standard where we're all looking at the same data and information it makes a customer transition and their experience a lot more seamless and fluid um, no matter what stage they are with us
0: I agree and this has been a recent kind of revelation for myself now running accord and kind of seeing it more broadly outside of just sales and working deals with my colleagues it's a company level thing it's a shared language across product across you know pre and post sales marketing etc and i think we we you know we kind of think about that whether you're an ic or manager or vp of sales our goal is to close business and increase revenue. But how we do that is from working with these other teams and that level of of rigor of kind of documenting this and having that shared language is really important to have that alignment, which I think so often isn't there um, by default of just having different kind of metrics and KPIs that we're tracking towards, right?
1: Absolutely different systems, you know, like every salesperson doesn't want to go into Jira, you know, and it's like, it's really hard to get CS sometimes into the sales force, you
2: know, or, but you're right. It helps. Elizabeth, I, your point to, to the top 10% of the reps. I I see that too, like even on my own team where they've been through so many different trainings and they've been successful, But they're also very, you know, going back to that consciously competent stage, they know what they're doing and they can articulate it to where when you have those deal reviews with them, when you're looking through their pipeline, they can talk about the risks. They can talk about the things that they need to do and strategize and have next steps. And that's when you really know, like, you know, if, if someone needs to have this, you know, if you really need to focus and shoehorn them into A framework that you're implementing for the sake of of having everyone do the same exact thing or giving them that space to be successful in the lane that they're in as long as they can articulate why and what and how they're doing it.
0: Totally. Well, maybe shifting gears to more like let's get tactical what's going on today. Uh, You know, people are focused on rep productivity. Now, I think more than ever I've seen in the last, you know, 10 or 10 years, um, there's, Smaller teams, people are getting cut, there's fewer leads, people are spending less money, there's more key decision makers involved in every deal and finance and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, how do you think this the the concept of methodologies and processes kind of maps to what we're seeing today? And how can people use um, you know, those tools and frameworks as levers for their sales team to win more deals and have more productivity from their sales reps? And maybe we'll start with with you and how you're kind of thinking about that with your, with your team at Roleworks.
2: Um, So data for us is super important. I mean, which I think every company would say uh, for us, we're, we're pretty data hungry and we we are, especially on the individual level. So um, for, I'll tell you about a recent exercise that we, I literally just got off uh, the team strategy call with, with the group I'm working with where the individual reps have their conversion metrics. They have their stats, they have their, Uh, what their rates were throughout the funnel uh, from, you know, FY22. And then then looking at FY23, how does that then, you know, equate to what you need to have for this upcoming year? And in this exercise, the accountability was put on them of taking a look at your data, where is it that you have the biggest gap? And then that's what we're going to focus on to have the most immediate win and, and move the needle. So a methodology and the framework that we work with, that's where, that's where it supports um, what you're trying to do with your coaching, because you can say, here's where your gap area is and individualize your focus of let's, let's, let's get you sharpened here. And this is the part of the framework that you need the most support on. And that way you can have an impact, you know, full funnel. So, you know, that's from an efficiency standpoint, I think it's really important to utilize these frameworks in the places where you have the biggest gaps, Mm -hmm. not try to implement everything all at once. But but especially in this economy, where can you have the biggest impact, um, the fastest and and show progress?
0: And where are you seeing that? Like specifically, what do you think the biggest levers are today? that sales funnel
2: so for us hands down um the top of the funnel where it's going from like the assessment stage into the validate stage is where most of the the team is has identified on their own i need to do this and this is where i'm having the gap and it's Mm -hmm. back in that discovery process of going back and really what are the key questions that we're looking for and and reviewing what are we asking? How have those questions changed to really identify different business pains? Because what we thought were the ones before, you know, last year are very different this year. And so how do we then restructure that portion to actually get the business challenges, be able to articulate the the impact that's going to have on your business? Because if we're not converting at that stage, that means we're not capturing what the true Business challenge is. Why is someone going to
0: spend time with you if you're not talking about their number one, two, you know, priorities and goals right now, right? Everyone's more focused. So if you miss that, there's no deal. 100%. Awesome. And Elizabeth, how about, you know, kind of similar question, um but the teams that you run, how you kind of map to the moment in time what the team needs to focus on now and using that kind of framework and shared language and shared process to kind of have a big impact to those those goals?
1: Yeah, a, a big strength of mine is the implementation of all of that, right? Like I I agree that, you know, being data-driven on every stage of the funnel is uh, is critical. Um, you know, I, I, I keep finding I've been through two acquisitions and then go back and I end up, um, you know, starting all over at very early stage. And the first thing I do is, spend the first month, um, you know, really on the ground with the AEs, break down every single one of the sales stages, Re-build um, them up, put in entry and exit criteria at, at each stage, um, and then train everybody up on, on every stage. And that's, that's what I do in the first 30 days, uh, right out of the gate. I think, um, you know, it takes time to get to where you can actually have that measurable data uh, around it. I agree with exactly what Pleasant said. I think it all comes down to discovery. And there's oftentimes when there's, you know, there's a big uh gap in deals it it can point back to the questions that are being asked early on and i think this is you know this is one of those things like i come from an enterprise background but when i was at hello sign in sales leadership i was running the mid-market and emerging business AE teams right so you know there's a big difference between transactional and and enterprise deals right but like it's it it's so critical to really go through that discovery process and and map all of that out. And I actually like, I mean, I think one of the things, and, and Ross, you and I have had this conversation. This sounds horrible in this kind of market, and I I've lost jobs, and you know I've, I've been I'm a little long in the tooth. I've been been this isn't my first rodeo, but um, you know I actually like these kind of markets because I think it it really can define the performers, you know, and as somebody who was trying to break into tech later um, in life, and, you know, I, I, when I, I joked that when I was in the investment industry, I was the only woman in the room. They were all white men that looked like my dad. And then I went from from that to being the oldest person in the room in tech. Um, but it's, you know, it, it um, you know, when things were really booming, some of the tech companies who have really dynamic, inbound marketing funnels all it takes to be a top producer is to be up next in the rotation so it's like when things start to really you know hit the fan like it's happening now you know it really takes doing your research and and going through the pro you know this is when the process matters
0: yeah yeah i you hit on something that yeah is kind of why we picked this topic now you know obviously harder to close all this stuff but it really comes down to the job of you know, a modern sales organization is predictability and a, and a sales leader. Yes, it's about deal execution and hiring and all that stuff, but what does that map up to? Maps to consistently, predictably hitting your goal. And the only way to do that is like you said, when things change, oh, we have fewer leads from marketing, like owning your destiny. And the only way to do that is to sell through a proven methodology and process that you've refined over the time of the company. And it always reminds me of kind of the legend of PTC, you know, kind of the best sales team they had. I think I forget the number of times in a row they hit and exceeded quarter, quota, something like 24, or something like that quarters. And the only reason they did that is they said, hey, we're going to develop and ended up being Medic came out of this company. We're going to develop a way of talking about deals and qualifying deals to make sure that everything in our pipeline is real. And then we're not going to miss because, oh, this thing happened at the end. We're going to clearly map out every stage and qualify every deal pro- appropriately to make sure that we can predictably hit our goal. And i see this huge shift back to that and the basics. Every single sales leader I'm talking to today is talking about how can we have that level of rigor that just wasn't needed before. And right. I think as people that, that took on and had passion for sales that always executed like that, like Elizabeth, you're saying, it's like, This is just the way I do things. I do things 10 out of 10. It doesn't matter if I didn't need all these stakeholders in the deal in this tight business case because it was going to close anyway. And that's the muscle that these people have developed because they love the art and the science of sales. And those are the people that are going to succeed right now and step up. And I think what you see is the vast majority of even sales leaders that have had success in multiple companies in the last few years just not be able to cut it because they don't have that level of rigor in their craft. And that's, you know, it's been really, really interesting to see things shake out. Um, so far.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, when I was, you know, this is back when carrying a bag was carrying a bag. Um, you know, it was back in field sales and there was no such thing as inbound. We didn't have a marketing funnel. We didn't have lead generation. You know, it was, it, we got a phone book of investment advisors and, and called on them, you know, and, and it was like hundred percent building your own pipeline outbound. And, um, you know, I've, I have been in a situation, that um, company pluma was an early stage company we had no marketing team and no sdr bdr team and it was a 100 percent outbound enterprise play and um you know it was the ceo there was great but you know it um ultimately decided to sell the company but um you know it was it was fun it was fun yeah.
0: So, so Pleasant, how is your team kind of adjusting to, I'm guessing, less leads, harder decisions? Like, how are they owning? How are you thinking about everyone kind of owning their destiny more um, with this increased kind of rigor and and kind of process that everyone needs to take on?
2: Well, I think that there are some, some reality checks that have to be made. And a lot of times when you're having those conversations, owning the destiny. If you're telling a a rep, here's what has to happen, Um, I go back to my teaching days, it's like, you know, there's the instruction level at the instruction, here's what you need to do versus letting them discover and uncover it themselves and figure out and work out the plan collaboratively with with their peers. Um, I think you have a much higher shot of doing the latter, you know, and much higher success rate. So that's one of the things is the team is the team is identifying and, and doing the work, which is really a, a shift um, from traditionally how, you know, we give people quotas. We, you know, we say like, here's the metrics that you need to hit. Here's the things that you need to do. Here's the things that you need to input into Salesforce versus letting them work those things out of where are the gaps that they need to fill. Um, and that's, that's one of the things. And the other piece, too, is. I, I think it's really important now, as much as we have a methodology, that you also have your own unique criteria of what a winning deal looks like so that you can de-risk your deals that, you know, reps are giving their gut feeling, calling on, or they're saying, well, I know all this, or I have my champion telling me this, here's the signer, here's the person, Da you know, and, you know, giving you like the medic information um, which sometimes you'll have a single threat of champion that can give you all of that info. And then you're still at the end of the deal. And it's like, well, what, what happened to that? So it kind of ties into Elizabeth's point with having that uh, the exit criteria. That's one of the things that we've really tightened and, and, and put more rigor around is, what are the criteria? How many a winning deal should have an X number of meetings? Because you know, unless it's one of those unicorns that someone calls up and they've done all their research, they're a previous user of us, so we only need like three, you know, meetings. That's the unicorn. And yeah. so there's a standard number of deals we have to, you know, certain number of buyers on our one deals. You know, this type of executive sponsorship. And so we have these constant set of of things that look like a winning deal alongside of what information we need to be collecting along the way to ensure we get to those um those benchmarks. That's where that's where we really tightened up. It's it's helpful within conversations, then with our reps because yeah. it's reality.
0: And how do you do that in real time? Like a lot of times I find Teams have this data, and it's kind of in this retrospective where it's too late to interfere on the deal. Mm -hmm. Oh shoot! Now we have this. Well, like we just talked about the importance of discovery and this this stuff happening early. How do you think about the enforcement of these things and the exit criteria, like in real time while it happens? That's something that I always, you know, kind of have a big question mark around. Is you know the best leaders and managers are able to do this? But yeah, in practice. Is it just from having the daily stand ups and knowing exactly what's happening on every deal? Like, what, how, how do you kind of think about, um, doing that? And then, same question, Elizabeth, I'm curious to hear kind of how you've done that as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I really believe, and when I go in, like, you know, and, and it was funny because I was hearing, you know, I, I, I think oftentimes as sales leaders, the CEOs want them to be player coach. Um, I don't think that model works unless it is really early stage. And I've been in a number of early stage. And I think the first thing I always try to do is close three to five deals on my own, you know? And, and so I really understand each one of those stages um, and then have the the reps sit in on my calls. And then I have, I sit in on theirs and it's just really getting in, you know, I, I'm not, um, I think like, for example, I think Gong is a great tool, um, but, I don't have a lot of time in my day to go back and listen to previous calls. And I think it's a really impactful conversation in the moment with a rep. If you're talking to them and you're on the call um, or you can participate and kind of, you know, work together on it and and you start to see trends. So I guess, you know, I think getting to what Pleasant is saying is, you know, I think customers can go dark or, or whatnot, you know, but when you start to see this happening on a regular basis with a specific rep, there's something broken, you know, and, um, and you see that, you know, and I really try to, to get my, particularly in this kind of environment, I try to get people to really think about um, understanding their buyer and understanding their customer and doing your research and being engaged with them and you know it's like I think one of the things I get a million emails I'm sure you guys do too and it's like delete 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 like you know every single email that you send I'll say to my team would you respond to that and if the answer is no then don't hit send
0: yeah yeah that's That's a really good point. And and we'll maybe going back to the first part that you said and pleasant curious to hear your thoughts is there's kind of this, these two opposing thoughts from a sales leadership perspective. One is enable your team to do all the things and you can't be involved. The other is there's no way of knowing for sure, unless you know what's actually happening on every deal and getting involved. Um, Elizabeth sounds like yours is more the the former pleasant. I'm curious to kind of hear your, your take on that kind of diametric philosophy of, of sales leadership.
2: Yeah, I, I I kind of have a hybrid more more leaning towards Elizabeth's side. So we use Gong. I I love Gong, but I like it for the metrics that it gives me. So when I'm looking at like, you know, things of you know, the, the calls, the people involved in the calls and having trackers set up like that. So we're mm-hmm. talking about efficiency. We're talking about how do we make this um, easy to implement, you know, invest in tools that will allow you to do this and not do the manual labor of pulling all the reports or hiring someone that, you know, you know, business sales. You know, you invest in the tools that will help you to implement this. I think it's the first thing. But um, my uh, my style is very much. I know where my strengths are as a sales leader, and I know that, and I know there's things that I can do and and say or or relate to people in a way that other people don't have that same skill set. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a brand new team, it's really important to listen in on calls for sure and understand how, what their strengths are within their the sa- sales process and for them to know what, what yours are. And um, I per- personally like to be in pricing and negotiation calls. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's a big, big presence that you can have when you're showing up with someone that has not been on the day-to-day like sales, you know, sales emails and things like that, and then can push in a different way or uncover and ask questions uh, in a, in a more strategic way. So I, I personally and my team, they, they take advantage of that, but on the other hand too, it's there, you have to have that, that feedback loop closed of here's why this happened. Here's how this happened. And, you know, so that they can grow and get better and feel more confident. Cause you're not always going to be there. I do listen to a lot of calls and I do do call coaching, but more so early in the stage to where, you know, it's, it's not just for me giving feedback, but also start hearing trends and seeing if they can, you know, pick up on things that, that we can implement across the team that will improve everybody versus just a single rep. So that's my, totally. that's my slant on it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a hard, it's a really tough balance. Um, especially when companies are growing, because, you know, it's like you want to improve each individual person, but people change jobs, places in the company, et cetera. And you're investing the time to up-level someone, but then you still have the quota every month, every quarter, and you need to make sure you're making the most of every deal. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think sales leaders obviously should be the best sellers and be able to maybe not say the things on the calls, but better understand the risks, the angles to take, and honestly, recently I've had, I'm curious to get, you know, both of your takes on this, especially as it relates to sales process, getting involved at the very start versus the end I've actually found as the biggest impact. I've gotten very obsessed with this idea behind positioning in sales, kind of taking this idea from marketing that first conversation or two, especially with a potential decision maker and where it sits on a priority list. Cause most deals, again, everyone knows are lost due to, you know, kind of prioritization than a competitor. And I think that's where you actually have the most impact is in that first probably even 10 minutes, 15 minutes of how you position your product uh, in the market, what problems it solves, how much of a priority it potentially is for them. And that's where I actually see, I think, a bigger opportunity for sales leaders to help kind of uplevel that in the sales process versus maybe later, maybe you're discovering why you lost at the end and you're losing there, but it's really probably from Kind of the prioritization level and that business challenge, even pleasant you mentioned, those changing a lot now. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to kind of adjust the team very quickly to having an ear for in the market how that's impacting your customers, right?
2: Mm-hmm. One of my sellers said something that was was spot on, which was, I feel like the longer that I'm here and the more that I learn about the product the worst I've gotten at discovery because I'm not asking, you know, the curiosity questions I'm asking the questions around like the product and the things that we're, we're doing and, you know, the things that we can solve for versus really capturing the things in the, in the beginning of, you know, why are you, why, why are we having here? How's this going to impact you? And I, so I, I, I agree with you. And um I think that, that it's also really important that sellers can can differentiate who they're talking to and what they're trying to get out of that person because you may have a champion that comes to the call with a really strategic priority for them. But if that seller can't also then weave the discovery to to find out how does this tie into the bigger picture, you know, and, and like, so I hear this is your, what well, you've been tasked with by the CEO or a CMO. So how is that aligning to some of the other initiatives in the organization? You have just really like siloed yourself. And it's going to be a much more challenging sale when you're going um, further in the sales pro- process, if you're just addressing that one need. So it, it has to be a, has to be kind of a balancing act of meeting their needs, but then also, bridging that gap.
0: Totally. Yeah. You get stuck from where you start. Um, well, we got a few more minutes left, maybe some, yeah. And Elizabeth, I'll pass it over to you for maybe some closing thoughts and reflection of all the things that we've been talking about, both kind of at the strategic and tactical level of trying to align, you know, not just one-off things to help close deals, but thinking about kind of the overarching methodology and and process that you're kind of providing the, the sales team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, my favorite thing about my job is team building and you know I think it's like pleasant saying being a teacher and like I'm a mom and was involved in their school and like I I really my favorite thing about the job is is seeing people be successful and really investing time with them right and like I'll give you an example I had one uh, rep that was a, a couple companies ago and um Such a great guy, but could not get anything past that dark stage. And, you know, and he felt that he did a great discovery and of course was doing 80% of the talking during discovery and, you know, and so I really came down hard and it was really, really hard for him. We went through it over and over and over and, you know, spent a few months, really all of my time invested with this guy. He became by far the best person at Medic. He had every question, he just got so good at it. And then I really was able to make him kind of a leader in this front and helped him train other people. And, um, you know, so I think it's, you know if you can really get ownership and I think that's coming down to what we were talking about in in terms of like down markets, right? Like if you can get them to take ownership of the process that's, that's where the magic is.
0: Yeah, I love that kind of simplifying everything down to you know. I think obviously a key quality of sales leaders is to is to take that level of ownership and accountability, but translating that to your team, I think is 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 kind of that next next level, right? Um, and moving away from and both, you know, kind of hearing from how both of you talk about your teams feels like kind of innately have this idea of okay, I'm empowering my team. How am I going to you know kind of transmute my feeling of ownership over this team's number? To them at that individual level and that's kind of the secret um the secret here but yeah pleasant any kind of closing thoughts comments
2: I would I would just say you know I've, I've been in multiple organizations that have, at the time where they haven't had a methodology implemented and then they they have the implementation and I've had you know experience with ones that never have fully adopted a methodology And so key takeaway would be don't piecemeal. Things and you know do things on a whim or or because it's the hot topic of the moment. Um, I think it's really important for your business to be successful to do your homework, figure out what's going to be best for your team and have the biggest impact, and then do it right. Mm-hmm. Don't half-ass it. Do it right. Implement it with efficacy. Have the support in place to train your sellers and to do the ongoing training. Because many times where you see this fail is you get the training done and then it's it's like okay, well we're doing like part of it and like half of it and you know and then you take back a look you know look back a year and it's like well we kind of you know adopted it and you know companies will spend a lot of money on these trainings you know drop a half a million dollars to have someone come in and train their organization. So be, be methodical, be thoughtful and, um, and do it in a way where your sellers aren't going to be frustrated because they feel like something new is coming at them, you know, every other month based off of the way the numbers fell, um, do it with efficacy.
0: Totally. Yes. I think that's, that's probably the number one kind of challenge that I've seen from people trying to have trying to get to this level of everyone knows it. Yes. I want to have, particularly hit my number. I want to have this clear methodology. I want to have my process and playbook and all the stuff. It feels very reactive at most companies pleasant. I completely agree. It's something that you need to very similar to like, you know, great marketing channels. It's something that you invested in three to six months ago. You're not going to see the benefit from forever. And if you're constantly trying to get the benefit of it right away, you're never going to get there. It's the long-term thing. It's doing it on every deal, regardless if it's a bluebird or the hardest deal to close ever, regardless if it's inbound or outbound. Every single day, you need to follow the thing and be committed to it as an organization. So if there is a shift in the market, a big acquisitionist thing happening, you're going to be able to push through it much better than everyone else. And it's a long-term investment. And I think that's, but a lot of people are realizing the benefit of now who has done that at their companies. And a lot of people are seeing, oh, shit, maybe I need to get more serious about this. Um, so I'm really excited just overall of this kind of moment and opportunity of the space of people realizing the power of that level of consistency and really investing in these things proactively instead of reactively. So yeah. Um,
1: And I think it's worth mentioning too. And I, you know, I, uh, I had seen a blog post on LinkedIn saying, say, Oh, medic started in the 1990s and it's, it's obsolete now. Um, And it's not, I mean, if you look at like, you know, I learned medic at hello sign and then we were acquired by Dropbox. Both of them are white combinator companies and they have very similar, you know, methodologies and processes in place, even though, you know, Dropbox was a big publicly traded company. Uh, But you really, if you look at all of the best companies, Snowflake uses Medic, there's a reason that these companies are successful.
2: Yeah.
0: Totally, totally. There's, yes, it's not by chance. (laughs) This stuff doesn't happen by chance. People think, oh, so much better product market fit, whatever. Like there's a way to orchestrate and own your destiny. You know, we're talking about at the deal level, but also at the company level. And this is this is the proven way to do that decade after decade. And even going before medic, this stuff was just reinvented with a different name. This has been happening since sales was invented, the turn of the century, and knocking on doors. Um, and it's just kind of funny that, you know, I'm excited that it's having a big resurgence. Um you know, right now. So awesome. Well, I appreciate you both coming in and sharing all of your hard earned learnings from, you know, running teams and everything. And hopefully this was helpful for both the folks listening live and the vast majority of people that'll probably be checking this out, uh, you know, async and on the recording.
2: Thank you for inviting, inviting me to be a part of this. Awesome. Yeah, likewise,
1: Ross. It's always a pleasure chatting and, and pleasant. It's great being, to know you as well. You're listening to
0: Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast.
1: Thanks for listening.